Hi everyone, I'm Dr. Anim Action. Welcome to the second video in my animated 90s series. Things are already starting to pick up here and the videos for this decade are just going to keep getting longer and longer, so I hope you all stick with me. And as usual, make sure to like and subscribe if you love all things animation. Last year we started the decade with a pretty decent lineup. A lot fewer action series than we were used to seeing throughout the 80s, but still not bad at all. I also mentioned that everything we got that year really felt like it belonged in the 90s somehow, whereas 1980 still felt like it was stuck in the 70s. Other than that, there was the emergence of shows based on musical artists, a larger roster of shows based on movies, actors, or live characters, and the emergence of some conservationist themes. Do these observations indicate trends that will continue? Well, I guess we're about to see. But first, let's see what was still airing from years gone by. Quite a list from the 80s kept hanging in there, though this will be a different story in next year. From last decade, we are still getting Muppet Babies from 84, Gummy Bears and the Fantastic World of Hanna-Barbera from 85, and the real Ghostbusters from 86. The one holdout from 1987 was, of course, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. 1988 was still going pretty strong with Winnie the Pooh, A Pup Named Scooby-Doo, Count Ducula, and Garfield and Friends. And 89 was as well with Beetlejuice, Captain N, Camp Candy, and G.I. Joe still chugging. Then from last year, we had several carryovers, including The Adventures of Don Coyote and Sancho Panda, Attack of the Killer Tomatoes, Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventures, Peter Pan and the Pirates, Swamp Thing, Tailspin, Wake, Rattle, and Roll, Widget the World Watcher, The Power Team, Tom and Jerry Kids, Merry Melodies starring Bugs Bunny and Friends, Tiny Toon Adventures, Captain Planet and the Planeteers, and Bobby's World. That makes 56% of the 1990 lineup that made it to 91, which is a fairly decent survival rate. What didn't make the cut, though? Well, with 56% getting through, that means that 44% didn't. This group is made up of The Adventures of Super Mario 3, which does get a replacement, Barnyard Commandos, Gravedale High, Kid and Play, Little Rosie, Midnight Patrol Adventures in the Dream Zone, The New Adventures of He-Man, New Kids on the Block, Pigsburg Pigs, The Wizard of Oz, and Zazu U. I don't really know about all of you, but for me there wasn't much of anything on that list that I cared was gone. Always nice when that's how the year plays out. Let's take a look though and see what was added to what we kept. In this new batch of shows, we got 27 series compared to last year's 25, so only a slight increase. These were again an interesting mix of all sorts of shows across several genres, including some really weird choices that no one could have expected. We also got at least one exciting milestone event this year to cover as well, so let's go ahead and power forward so we can get to that. As has become the norm, let's start off with the series that were based on classic or legacy characters. I'll warn you all in advance that some of the shows I covered could have gone into multiple of these categories, they just ended up where they did because that's where my brain put them. Anyway, let's start with a classic character from the Funny Pages, a series based on a 1937 comic strip, The Legend of Prince Valiant. This one told modern stories based on the classic Hal Foster character, the titular Prince Valiant, and his companions Arn and Rowan throughout the Kingdom of Thule. The three are on a quest to find Camelot and become knights of the fabled Round Table. I was never a huge fan of the comic strip as it was way too wordy for my preteen self, but the cartoon was pretty awesome and carried on the legacy of some of the great 80s sword and sorcery tunes. Plus, look at that animation. The crew from Hearst Entertainment Productions went above and beyond with this one. Too bad it was stuck on the Family Channel. Speaking of classic medieval characters, this year also saw the release of Young Robin Hood, brought to us by Hanna-Barbera. I'd give a little blurb on the origin of the character here, but the character's been around since the late 1300s with no real clear point of origin for me to give, so not much I can do there. 
Not that I really need to, as the character's one that everyone should be familiar with even to this day, with at least eight movies and two live-action TV series based on him just since 1990. The cartoon, though, completely revamped the character's origins, making him a teenager rather than a veteran of the Crusades, but pretty much keeping all of the other story beats intact. I guess we can consider this another instance of the kidification trend that's been happening since the Muppet Babies, if we want. Kind of like what happened with our next character in the series Yo-Yogi, which took the well-known Hanna-Barbera mascot from 1958 and recast him and his crew as teenagers. The characters worked as detectives in a town called Jellystone rather than a park, and several of HB's other anthropomorphic legacy characters show up in various roles throughout the series as well, with some of them even still appearing in their normal adult forms. Dick Dastardly and Muttley still appear as the primary antagonists in several episodes, but others take on a more villain-of-the-week format. This one wasn't my favorite of the young versions released throughout the period, but it was okay. The trend continues on, though, giving us Little Dracula as well. The show followed the antics of the Dracula family, paying special attention to the son, who's apparently called Little Dracula instead of Dracula Jr. I guess we got Dracula Jr. in the Drac Pack, though, and young Dracula and mini-monsters, and anthropomorphic Dracula in Monster Tales. We got a lot of Dracula in this era. Anyway, the series didn't go over so well here, getting pulled after airing only five of its 13 episodes and having its time slot handed off to Beetlejuice. It did better in Europe, though, who not only saw the entire 13-episode run, but actually got a second 13-episode season as well. As long as we're talking about characters that were oddly given extended families, though, let's take a look at this year's Tasmania. This series starred everyone's favorite spinning Looney Tunes character, Taz, the Tasmanian Devil, and gave him a full family. Oddly, a family that could speak perfect English and lived in human analog conditions. That kind of makes me wonder what was wrong with Taz this whole time. Maybe he'd been a subversive look at mental health the entire time and we just hadn't noticed. Or maybe the creators didn't expect us to think about it, or care if we did. Yeah, it was probably that one. So in this series, Taz works as a bellhop, but constantly gets into situations that end with him going tornado and wreaking havoc, while also embarrassing his mall rat sister, with the other Looney Tunes characters popping up for guest spots throughout. Regardless of what you think of the series, though, which I honestly found to be pretty funny, they had a fun pet turtle named Dog, which was chuckle-inducing at the time, and a really great theme song that I had stuck in my head for a couple of days while working on this video. Welcome to Atlantic's way, under, down, under, the sky's always yellow in rain or shine. Down to Tasmania, come to Tasmania. There, now you can have it too. You're welcome. For the final series in this category, let's go back to the four-color world of print. The Adventures of Tintin came to us as a joint production between Canada and France based on the Belgian creation Tintin from 1929. The series pretty meticulously followed the original books the character appeared in and translated the stories into some pretty unique looking animation, using a painting technique that involved going over each cell with a sort of watercolor called gauche. They even incorporated some of the original artwork from the books into the series. It's some good old-fashioned kid-and-his-dog-go-on-adventure storytelling, but as it originally aired on HBO, I never caught it during its first run. Now that I've already covered a couple of characters from books and comic strips, let's move on to talk about the new shows we got this year that were based on, well, books and comic strips. See, I told you that some of these shows belong to multiple categories. Whatever, my mind is a mysterious wonderland that rarely does what I want it to do, so it is what it is. This category got separated out because everything in it was significantly newer than in the previous, kind of making them ineligible for that true classic label. Well, yet yeah, at least. Let's start by taking a look at a series that came to us from across the pond, or at least a series based on a character that originated over there. Where's Waldo? Yes, UK watchers, I said Waldo instead of Wally, 
was an animated show based on the series of Find Him in the Crowd books by the same name. Well, not the same name. Those really were called Where's Wally, originally created by English illustrator Martin Hanford in 1987. Unlike the books, the series wasn't just 22 minutes of staring at a static screen looking for the character, though, even if it did have some freeze-frame moments to give viewers a chance to do just that, but instead focused on Waldo slash Wally and his dog Woof using a magical walking stick to traverse space and time on various missions for the wizard Whitebeard. On a related note, the only explanation I could find about the name change between the UK and here were some passing remarks about localization. But as we've got people that go by the name Wally here in the US, including some pretty popular characters like The Flash, I don't get it. I've even met some Wallys in real life, though I've never actually met a Waldo. Feel free to explain in the comments if anyone knows the story behind that. The next series we got pulled from the pages and given animated life came from a comic book, specifically the Bucky O'Hare comic from publisher Continuity. Based on the stories first printed in that back in 1984, Bucky and the Toad Wars followed a high-flying space war against a species of evil anthropomorphic... what else? Toads. Apparently in this universe, all of the animals are aliens, though, as they also have a human crew member, and toads are the most powerful species of them all, considering the mix of animals that make up Bucky's team. Makes sense that the most feared and lethal species in space would be cold-blooded. Oh, wait. It definitely had a TMNT in space sort of feel, and for the longest time I was sure it had crossed over with them at some point, but that must have been a fever dream. Anyway, fun show in that same vein that unfortunately only lasted 13 episodes. Oh, and the characters and story were also co-created by Larry Hama, you know, of G.I. Joe comic book fame. This one also had an earworm of a theme, so... Bucky! Captain Bucky Mutants and aliens and toads beware! Again... You're welcome. Moving ahead, we had a series not based on a specific book, but rather an author. A Bunch of Munch was a series that adapted several stories by children's author Robert Munch and aired for 13 episodes this year on Showtime. Each episode was based on a different one of the author's works, and each featured a new song to go along with the story. Every 30-minute episode contained two 11-minute segments, which meant the series was able to cover most of the stories that had been released by Munch at that point in his career. I haven't seen this one, so that synopsis is all the insight I can give on it, though. Closing out this category is an adaptation of Mike Peters' 1984 comic strip Mother Goose and Grimm. The cartoon, like its source material, mostly follows the dog Grimm in some kind of culturally relevant hijinks that often annoy his long-suffering owner, Mother Goose. The comic strip's pretty funny, and the cartoon was done in the same tone and style, so it was good for a laugh. Having gone through all the characters that came off the page, let's take a look at what characters came off the screen like the bigger movie screen, not the one we watch these cartoons on. Except for the shows that are based on video games, which I guess came from the screen that we watch the cartoons on. Whatever, you all know what I mean. Let's start with the shows we got that originated as films, like Little Shop, which was based on Roger Corman's 1960 classic Little Shop of Horrors. Okay, fine, it was probably more closely based on the later, better-known 1986 version starring Rick Moranis, but Corman's version came first. Oddly, this one does the kidification thing too, taking Moranis' Seymour character and changing him into a young boy. It also has a plant named Junior rather than Audrey too. Wikipedia says the character was actually named Audrey Junior, but I don't remember that ever being said in the show and can't confirm it anywhere else. Like Audrey too in the movie though, Junior can hypnotize people, and it's suggested that he occasionally eats them as well. But unlike the movie, he's actually friendly toward most humans and helps Seymour throughout the 13 episode run. 
The next series that came to us from Hollywood was Back to the Future, and I'm confident you can guess what that one was based off of. The series picked up where Back to the Future 3 left off and primarily focuses on Doc Brown and his family, which includes wife Clara, sons Jules and Vern, with none of the creepiness of movie Vern, and Dog Einstein, with Marty and sometimes Jennifer making appearances throughout. The show was actually a pretty fun continuation of the story, with the Browns traveling to various exciting moments and places in history, and it featured live-action segments with Christopher Lloyd reprising his role as the Doc character and conducting experiments, aided by his lab assistant Bill Freakin' Nye. He didn't voice the animated version of the character, though, as did any of the other members of the film cast except for Thomas F. Wilson as Biff. Instead, in the animated series, Doc was voiced by Homer Simpson himself, Dan Castellaneta. Continuing on, we find yet another adaptation from film, or maybe from books, as the films were technically based on a character that originated in print. Whatever. It's James Bond Jr., based on everyone's favorite womanizing British secret agent, James Bond. I guess you could also say this series was based directly on a book, as there was one published in 1967 called The Adventures of James Bond Jr., 003 and a Half, by, well, it was written under a pseudonym, so nobody really knows. But who cares, because we all know the best recognized source material is the 16 entry, at least at the time the cartoon released, film series. I know that those movies themselves were based on the 14 novels by Ian Fleming and all of the subsequent novels by other authors that came after that featured the Bond characters, but come on, I'm American. I don't read. Kidding, of course. That one was for you out-of-towners. Back on topic, though, the series actually followed the nephew of the character we all know from the movies, who trained the younger agent and then passed on the James Bond name, which you would think would just make him plain old James Bond still, but whatever. It was some pretty fun spy action regardless. The last film adaptation of the year was based on one of the most kid-friendly movies I've ever seen and brought to us by the most kid-friendly company I can think of. Wait, strike that. It actually came from about the most inappropriate source material for kids you're likely to find. Coming from a partnership between legendary Schlockhouse Troma Entertainment and Murakami Wolf Swenson, and based on Troma's flagship character Toxie from their film series The Toxic Avenger, came the show Toxic Crusaders. Unlike the movie, this version wasn't filled with the nudity, sex, bloody violence, drug use, etc. of the film. Instead, it featured a family-friendly version of Toxie, a sentient mop, and an expanded roster of mutated heroes fighting against polluters and environmental exploiters across the city of Tromaville. Good to know someone was carrying the torch lit by Captain Planet and Widget. Little nugget for you Spongebob fans out there, Toxie in this series was voiced by Roger Bumpus, who plays that show Squidward. Finally in this category, I'm going to shift my focus to our lone video game adaptation of the year, Super Mario World. This series pretty much picked up right where the previous two SMB series left off, and featured the same voice actors from last year's Super Mario Bros. 3, but moved the action to a prehistoric world full of cave people and dinosaurs. It also ditched Toad, and replaced him with both Yoshi and a new character that wasn't from the game named Ugtar. Other than that, the series was just more typical Mario Bros. action, so probably not a lot more that needs to be said about it. Oh, I will mention that originally the episodes contained Mario-ified covers of popular music from the time, but these have long since been replaced by generic soundtracks due to licensing. For the next stop on this 1991 train, I want to take a look at several series we got this year that were either based on or heavily featured real-world people. Let's kick off with the one featuring someone, which was the show Wish Kids, starring Macaulay Culkin. The series featured a protagonist named Nick, who was based on the likeness of, and voiced by Culkin, and his magical wish-granting baseball glove. Of course, being a dumb kid, the character made dumb wishes that inevitably led to trouble in one form or another. It was then a 22-minute hijinks-filled story about trying to fix whatever problem he caused. 
Also, like some of the other series of the time, the episodes were introduced by Culkin in live-action segments. Also, also, this one had Macaulay's real-life sister voicing his sister character, as well as voice-acting royalty Tara Strong. Moving right along, we have a new entry into the shows based on musical acts genre that popped up last year. And yes, I know it wasn't original to 1990, and I am familiar with cartoons like the Osmonds and the Jackson 5, but the genre had taken the 80s off, so this was kind of a rebirth. Anyway, that continued this year with the extremely strange Hammerman, based on late 80s, early 90s rapper Stanley MC Hammer Burrell. This was a strange series that cast Hammer in the role of mild-mannered Stanley, a worker at a youth center that loves to dance. One day, Stanley becomes the owner of a pair of magical talking shoes that transform him into the superhero Hammerman. He's actually a legacy superhero, as the shoes were bequeathed to him by their former owner, the aging hero Soul Man. It was a moral of the story series, with each episode having Hammerman deal with a situation involving one kind of social issue or another, and the real-life Hammer appearing at the end to give viewers advice about how to deal with similar issues themselves. Hammer also did the theme song for the series, which is pretty clunky and doesn't rhyme in several parts. I'm not much of a rap fan, but I thought rhyming was pretty fundamental to the genre. Oh well. Let's forge ahead with our last two series in the category, which feature a whole new type of real people. Athletes. Again, I know this wasn't the first, as there were Muhammad Ali and Harlem Globetrotters cartoons back in the 70s, but it was the first in a while. We'll start with an athlete that I, and I'm willing to bet most other Americans have never heard of, Michelle Valent. Okay, so this isn't a real-life athlete, but rather a fictional Formula One driver who, oddly enough, first appeared in Tintin magazine in 1957. I'm putting the series here anyway, though, because I'm going to talk about another athlete one here in a minute, and it just seemed to fit. Like I said, this is a French character that a lot of Americans probably aren't familiar with. So although the original series was aired in France and named after the character... Here in the U.S. it was called Heroes on Hot Wheels, and branded after the die-cast car toy line. We also renamed the character to Michael, so boys watching the show didn't think it was about some gross girl, because only really gross girls can drive race cars. That's pretty much it, though. A show about Formula One racing with an action-adventure twist and a Hot Wheels brand. The real-world athletes who got the animation treatment this year did so in the series Pro Stars, which every time I see appear in this script I want to read as Porn Stars, but which starred some of the greatest players of all time in their respective sports. The show followed the Pro Stars, a team of heroes fighting crime, helping kids, and even saving the environment, comprised of legendary basketball player Michael Jordan, unstoppable baseball and football player Bo Jackson, and hockey's great one Wayne Gretzky. Each episode was bookended by live-action segments of the three providing a synopsis of the upcoming story in the beginning and answering questions from kids at the end. They didn't voice their characters, though, as that was done by professional voice actors. In the show, the characters used some interesting gadgets based on their particular skills and sport, and most episodes came with the moral of the story. It was actually really kind of cool, especially if any of the three were heroes of yours at the time. I, myself, was quite a fan of Bo Jackson. Continuing on, let's shift our focus from a category of shows and look at a channel instead, specifically Nickelodeon, as this was the year that gave birth to the Nicktoons. Well, I mean, it gave birth to the specifically branded Nicktoons, consisting in its original incarnation of a 90-minute programming block of Doug, Rugrats, and the Ren and Stimpy show in that order. This was the milestone event that I mentioned earlier. Doug was a slice-of-life story about a kid named Doug, his friend Skeeter, and his crush Patty Mayonnaise, as they dealt with typical school-age problems and situations in their local Bluffington Middle School. It was a really well-done and relatable show that used a unique-looking set of characters and animation. 
It also had the last of this year's several brain-infecting theme songs, so... Okay, that's all of that, I promise. Next up during this inaugural Nicktoons block was Rugrats, the adventures of several infants in the mischief both occasionally real and often imagine that they got up to. These adventures usually take the form of first-time life experiences for the babies viewed through the lens of their imaginations, but served as an interesting story device and did an excellent job of making the mundane fantastical. Also, there are some interesting after-the-fact fan theories about the show that you should check out. I'm especially fond of the babies as figments of Angelica's traumatized mind theory. The final member of this trio of shows was The Ren and Stimpy Show, a nonsensical series about a violent, angry chihuahua and a dim-witted, obese cat. The show didn't have any kind of through story, instead having each episode air in unrelated stories, usually fueled by risque jokes and gross-out humor. It was a really hit-or-miss series for me, as I found some moments funny, but could then be completely disgusted and stop watching the next moment. I do still love the log commercial, and Happy Happy Joy Joy is a fun song. Don't worry. I'm not going to play any of it here. Overall, though, this series is definitely a matter of taste, and it really didn't mesh with its Nicktoon brethren of the time. So I'm either getting more thorough and informative, or more verbose, because this script is starting to run pretty long. I'll leave it to you all to decide which of those it is. Whatever the case, the next series I want to cover is the first tentative steps by a new network into the world of animation, and some weird steps they were. Liquid Television premiered on MTV this year as an anthology platform and showcase for smaller, independent animators. The show included a number of really bizarre segments in this first season, including the puppet-animated Winter Steel, mostly still-framed soap opera, the live-action art school Girls of Doom, minimally animated Invisible Hands, even more minimally animated Stick Figure Theater, the live-action computer animation mix Miss Lydia's Makeover of the Stars, and some more traditionally animated segments as well, like the hidden camera spoofing cut-up camera. They were stuck together with a wide assortment of animated interstitials, and each one was usually odd, often violent, and occasionally profane, but they were unlike anything else at the time. Two other segments were my personal favorite shorts from this first season of the show, though. First was The Specialists, which was about a trio of private detectives consisting of the leader and strategist Mastermind, Strongman Samson, and femme fatale escape artist Kitka as they encountered an eclectic assortment of weirdo villains. And the second was the insanely cool Eon Flux, which was the story of a scantily clad secret agent, the titular, uh, no pun intended, Aeon, and her battles against an oppressive futuristic nanny state called Bregna, led by the charismatic Trevor Goodchild. This was an awesome series, full of crazy action and hyper-stylized violence, and the main character usually died at the end of each episode, until the show spun off into a full-length series that we'll talk about in a later episode. It also got a not-nearly-as-awesome live-action movie starring Charlize Theron, who disappointingly didn't wear the cartoon-accurate costume. I mean, obviously because I'm worried about consistency with the source material. I don't know what the rest of you were thinking. Oh, and because a couple of other significant series got their start on Liquid Television too, expected to pop up again in a future video or two. That brings us to my catch-all category for whatever didn't fit in any of the others. I've got two entries here to talk about, so we'll start with Mr. Bogus. The show is a mix of traditional animation and claymation based on a French-Belgian claymation series from 1987 called Bogus. This version, though, uses the original segments from that series, localized to where the new version was airing, and splits the episode's runtime with them and newly added cartoon segments. 
It follows the title character, who is some kind of miniature goblin or gremlin or something, living in the walls of a house, and his adventure being out of scale with the things around him. The other one I put here was an animated comedy series called Space Cats. SPACE! Which coincidentally was another series combining different types of animation as it contained both traditional cartoon and live action puppets. The puppet segments consist of the cat's leader Dork, or disembodied ruler of cats, giving them various missions on Earth, with the missions themselves playing out in the animated segments. And each episode ends with a moral, which was pretty standard for the time. Well, that category was pretty short and sweet. Nice. Let's end where we always do by taking a look at the action series that the year brought us. We already covered a few that could qualify here, but there were a couple stragglers that I didn't want getting left out. First was the incredibly cool Pirates of Dark Water. The series is about Prince Ren and his crew on a quest to collect the 13 treasures of rule, prophesied to save the kingdoms of Octopon and Mer from the encroaching dark water that's threatening the planet. Throughout their journey, the crew of heroes is pursued by the wicked pirate Bloth and his massive battleship the Maelstrom, who seeks to gather the treasures for himself and seize control of the dark water. The show had some awesome ships engaged in swashbuckling adventures across an alien world in a captivating through story. Unfortunately, it ended after 13 episodes, and that story never got resolved. And for our last show of the category, and indeed the year, we have Gummy Bear's replacement in the Disney afternoon, Darkwing Duck. I'm pretty confident this is another one that needs little to no explanation, but for the sake of being thorough, here's one anyway. It's a comedic take on Batman set in Disney's Duckverse. Is Duckverse a thing? If not, then it is now. I'm claiming it to describe these interconnected shows, specifically this and DuckTales. In this series, mild-mannered Drake Mallard, whose name is a spoof of Kent Allard, the secret identity of Paul Hero the Shadow, becomes the costume crime fighter Darkwing Duck, protecting the Gotham-esque city of St. Canard from a roster of wacky villains. Oh, and when I mentioned Batman, I meant the old-timey serialized Batman. He has a sidekick in the form of Launchpad McQuack, a character originally from DuckTales, and an Inspector Gadget Penny archetype adopted daughter Goslin. This was Disney's first satirical cartoon and offered a lot of spoof and commentary on other superheroes and action adventures of the time. It's a great show, and quickly took second place for me in the Disney afternoon lineup. And where can you watch all of these shows? Well, similarly to last year's lineup, you really can't for several of them, at least not officially. Bucky O'Hare and the Toad Wars, Hammer Man, Little Shop, Heroes on Hot Wheels, James Bond Jr., Mother Goose and Grimm, Space Cats, SPACE! Young Robin Hood, Mr. Bogus, Little Dracula, and Liquid Television make up the list of shows from this year that never got any kind of official release and aren't on any streaming services. Like I said last video, take a look here on YouTube for a lot of them. There are a couple of others that did get DVD releases, but as of now are currently out of print, including Wish Kid and The Legend of Prince Valiant. A few of the series from the year can be watched easily enough on streaming though, including Yo Yogi, The Adventures of Tintin, and Toxic Crusaders on Prime Video, with Toxie also available on Tubi, and Where's Waldo on Pluto TV. The rest are all available to some extent on DVD. This group's made up of Pro Stars, Super Mario World, A Bunch of Munch, Back to the Future, Darkwing Duck, which is also on Disney+, The Pirates of Dark Water, Tasmania, The Ren and Stimpy Show, Doug, and Rugrats. So there you have it. Everything that premiered on U.S. television in 1991. For me personally, this wasn't a bad year, with a few shows that I really enjoyed showing up, but it wasn't the best either. There just wasn't a whole lot here that hooked me so firmly they were consistent must-watches, but let me know if that wasn't the same case for you. I'm always curious about which of these shows I talk about that you all loved, hated, or were generally indifferent about. But on that note, I think it's time to close out this fairly long video. 
make sure to like and subscribe if you haven't already. Thanks for watching, everyone. Stay tuned and stay tuned, as in cartoons. Later.